When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to the White Towel Podcast. I'm Paul Chapman, joined here by Ed Willis. Ed, thanks for making the time to come in. I don't think I had a choice in the matter, but... <laughs> well, you don't. Yeah. I just be polite. <laughs> just like I don't have a choice. Uh, you have a choice to listen, so thank you for that. Um, you can download us as usual. Uh, subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating if you like. We have lots of other podcasts here at the province and the Vancouver Sun, and also through Post Media, do a national hockey podcast uh, with Mike Tracos called Off the Post. We'll talk about... One of my conversations with Mike later on with uh, as it regards to award winners and Elias Pettersson, um, run some of those theories by Ed. We're also going to talk a little bit about end of season for the Canucks, setting up the offseason in the front office and anything else Ed wants to get into. So Ed, let's start immediately with uh, a subject you were off last week. Um, we had Ben uh, Kuzma in to do a podcast, but obviously all the hype last year was this end of year silver lining tour we've become used to and it was the debut of Quinn Hughes very limited window so far what have you liked not liked what do you still want to see from the kid well so we're talking Wednesday here <clears throat> the, the the game I saw last night when the Canucks beach Santos that was the first game I, I saw him live really hard to form an opinion on him they're managing his minutes and I and I think that's fair that's his third game in the NHL he's a 19 year old kid uh, I, I don't think it just doesn't doesn't make any sense to start throwing him out there twenty twenty two minutes. I'm you, you, the the talent is self evident. The minute he signed that contract, he was in the top five percent skaters in the NHL, and you could easily make the case he's higher than that. There will come a time very soon, and I expect it'll happen at some point next year, where he'll be running the power play as well. Um, even in, in in the limited, uh, you know scope you, you you get with him you you see he just plays the game faster than so many of the other Canucks he he made a play where he jumped on a loose puck last night held it held it and put it on a tee for Brock Besser and Mar Martin Jones the uh, San Jose goalie made a spectacular save but you just don't see that you haven't seen that kind of play in transition from a Canucks defenseman this year so I, you know, I, I think he starts next year as one of the favorites for the for, for the Calder Trophy, and then we'll we'll see where it goes from there. Well, it's nice to see your tempering expectations, and I say that honestly because some of the chatter after the yep. first game, where of course there was a famous three on three segment where he was playing with Besser and Pedersen, and at that point the question was Ring of Honor or retire the jersey. Um, <laughs> literally after one game against. You're Los Angeles Kings, ladies and gentlemen. What is this end of season period like? I mean, 
I know that people who are tied to the draft lottery and the odds get frustrated that the Canucks win these games at the end of the year. But really, I'm watching some of these teams play down the strand. I don't know if the San Jose Sharks are going to be any good or not in the playoffs. They're 1-8-1 and one in their last 10 now. Mm-hmm. And there's expect- expectations they're going to win the Stanley Cup. What can we take away from these end-of-season performances well, every I, I, year? Ed? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I think it just speaks to what's gone on before that. I think people are so desperate for, for some kind of good news story to emerge from the Canucks. So two years ago, it was bringing Besser up for those nine games, and he scored, I can't remember, he scored three or four goals, and people were, you know, the yeah, we got that. Last year was a little different. It was the the, the Sedin's, you know, farewell send-off, and they, they had a little run there. But, you know, that occupied their attention for, like, you know, the last five, six games. It's, it's Never sort mind of a, the 77 that preceded. Yeah, I was going to say that the Sedin's goodbye tour kind of superseded the Adam Gaudet yes, uh, Hall fairly, of Fame yeah, run. Yeah, yeah, Thank, debut, th- thank, thank you, Adam Gordell was, you know, the shiny the new Hobie object Baker winner, yeah. <laughs> last year. And then this year is Quinn Hughes, and I suspect next year it'll be some, something else. But, you know, like, like I said, I mean, you're sitting there, you're watching in a team that's anywhere from like 22nd to 28th place, depending on what year we're talking about. Fans have endured absolutely nothing games for the better part of two months. Now, it was a little different this year, but not a lot. And all of a sudden, you've got this kid, you know, Quinn Hughes, and rightfully so. I mean, there was a lot of uh, a, a lot of boards that say he is the best prospect uh, the NHL's when he was in Michigan. I'm sorry, I'm going to spit this out if it kills me. When he was in Michigan, he was the best prospect in the uh, not not playing in the NHL. So reason to be excited, yeah. But you'd like you 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 just hope you know he. One of these kids show up when people are excited about the teams, and now boy, now we've got. Even more reason to be excited because we've got this, you know, flashy prospect. Well, it is remarkable that Brock Besser uh, came in and, and you know, delivered immediate results yeah. the way he did. Um, at the start of this season, we saw that from Pedersen. And uh, safe to say, you know, there's still a long road to go with, uh, with Quinn Hughes. But are you surprised at all that these kids, in particular, not coming from a junior background, don't seem in awe of the NHL to step onto the ice right away and feel like they sort of belong with yeah, the confidence? I, yeah, I think that's just the way the game has gone in the last 10, 15, 20 years, and there are so many elite tournaments and there's so many opportunities to play, and the exposure is so much greater. I hate to be that guy, and I know I say that a lot on these podcasts, but I, cover, <laughs> I covered the Western League in the, in the 80s. And that was it. It was like this self-contained unit. And yeah, there was a Memorial Cup. And yeah, the World Junior was starting to get more popular. But like like, like I said, the, as far as attention beyond the boundaries of, of the Manitoba border to the Pacific Ocean, there wasn't a lot there. Now you just think. You think of a kid like Hughes. So he's played at two World Juniors. He's played in a World Championship. He's played in an, in the, an NCAA. I can't remember where Michigan finished last year and this year they did they didn't take a deep run but he has been written about he has been scrutinized he's been under the microscope really since he was like joined the u.s national develop developmental team as a 16 year old so that's quinn hughes and patterson a little different animal coming from sweden but again he plays in the world championship as a teenager he's had a couple of kicks at, at 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 the world juniors he's played against men in the swedish elite league so they're just so much better equipped to deal with all the stuff than they were a generation ago especially the elite prospects because they've been living it breathing it 24 7 really since you know since about the time they hit puberty 
Um, tell me if I'm off base here because I, you know, I just host these things. You guys are when I have you or Ben or Patrick and you guys know much more about the game and speak to those guys than I do. But um, it is spectacular to see the way Quinn Hughes reads the game, the way he skates, the way he handles the puck. But I was sort of reminded of a period this year where um, Besser talked about the fact that Travis Green had not been happy with his defensive end of the game because people were wondering why isn't Besser shooting the puck more. Um, defense is a different position. And while it's wonderful to see those skills from Hughes, before people do get carried away, and Canuck fans are certainly entitled to do so considering their recent history, how tough do you think the defensive part of his game is going to be? Well, I think because the team's going to compete, that yeah, has to yeah. be there. No, there's a there's definitely a learning curve there, and you know the thing about this kid is the level he's played at, he could basically take the puck and do whatever he wanted with it. And I saw that in the World Junior in the in the early games, and when they they started when they played against Sweden, they played a round robin game against Sweden, and I thought this is really interesting because he stick handled his way into trouble on numerous occasions. And you could kind of see him take this information and process it because from then on he started to play, and I'm not going to say a safe game, but he started to make uh, more high percentage plays, more plays that you have to make at the NHL level. I'm not worried about that at all with this kid because he was born into this. Like his dad was the director of player personnel or director of player development or whatever the title was uh, with the Maple Leafs. He's been around NHL dressing rooms. He's been around the highest level of the games, and he's a smart, very aware kid. He will figure it out. Now there he will he lose some battles down row down low. Of course he will. You're gonna have to wait for him to build into his man strength and and you know I think down the road and and I just look at the number of small players who in today's game have excelled who are elite players and he will be one of them. I I I know he idolizes Duncan Keith and and I think that's a really interesting thing to watch going forward to see how he stacks up against a player like that. Just another reason to endear him to Canuck fans. Well, yes, it, it uh, had to be Duncan Keith. Leafs, <laughs> Blackhawks. Is yeah, there yeah. someone on the Bruins he loves? Um, let's let's talk a little bit about. He's Eli- always spoken highly of Brad Marchand. <laughs> drug debt, da- oh, drug Doughty. Drew Doughty is someone he hangs out with in the offseason too. Um, if you want to look at. Uh, you know, it's a tired cliche when you look at a guy his size. That we heard the same things about Patterson. It was like he will not wear down. He'll. But look, we've seen Elias Patterson hit a wall, whether he says so or not, and there'll be various reasons for that. And I know he's answered some of that this week. Um, I was talking to Mike Trakos, our national hockey writer, uh, when we did our national podcast recently, and you know, I asked him because he's got a vote. You know, has your how have your thoughts changed on? The Calder, because obviously Jordan Bennington's been a great story, and he said, "Well, look, there was a feeling that if Pedersen got hurt at the at the uh, All Star game, he would still win the Calder." Now, Bennington's been fantastic, but he's only had twenty eight starts. But Mike, essentially, with two games left in the season, said he hasn't decided who he's going to vote for yet. But I think he was leaning towards Pedersen. Um, what's what has gone on with this kid? Does it just speak to the rigors of the NHL season? I, how I tough think it is. so. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. He's in uncharted waters here, and I know people have added up the numbers, and he played something in the order of 60-some games last year. Just a different level at the at the NHL. Plus, he's on he's on a crummy team, let's be honest. You know, there's a dis- tons of attention. Yeah, disproportionate 
level of responsibility has been placed on on his shoulders in his rookie season. I thought he was up until about two weeks ago. I thought he was still doing fine, like in, in terms of the completeness of his game. I thought he was still driving play. I still thought he was, you know, controlling a lot of the play when he was on the ice. I just haven't seen that in the last little while. And, and I think I think he can give the kid a wide berth on that one. I think it's completely understandable, and I don't think these last two weeks diminish in any way what he accomplished over the first sixty games. So yeah, uh, you know, as far as the Calder Trophy. I'd be stunned, absolutely stunned, if he isn't a near-unanimous decision. And I know there's other guys. I mean, for me, the guy who gets absolutely no run is Miro Heiskin, and the, the defenseman in Dallas who's playing over 20 minutes a game, who's really, you know, played a key role on a playoff team. And you just don't mention his, you don't hear his name mentioned at all. Uh, but for, it, for me, it's Pedersen's to lose, and I'd be stunned if it plays out any other way. How do you think this team has evolved in terms of not having the Sedins here? I, I, I you, think, I, yeah. Sorry, and I just, just to qualify that, when you talked about a disproportionate amount of responsibility put on a rookie, you know, part of that is that those guys aren't here anymore. Yeah. I, the, 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 I'm gonna, so, so this is my thesis statement on, on, on this Canucks season. I think if you go back to the start of the season and all the challenges this team faced, um, no Sedins, um coming off like these three dreadful years in a row don't know what they have in Patterson don't know what they have in, don't know what they certainly don't know what they have in Jacob Markstrom if you would have gone to the average Canucks fan at the start of the year and said look okay we're going to we're going to fast forward to mid March Elias Peterson is going to be, you know, about a 70-point player. Markstrom is going to establish himself as a legitimate number one goalie. We can throw in Troy Stetcher emerging. You know, all, I, I, I think the vast majority of Canucks fans would have said, where do I sign up for that? That's being realistic. And plus, you know, they, there was the illusion they were in the playoffs up until about mid-March, too. So I, I, I really think, based on all this, this, and it probably speaks to the incredibly low bar that's set for this franchise, but I think this season uh, is a qualified success. Uh, for, for for the franchise and maybe even for Jim Benning. And we, I think we're going to get into that a little later uh, in this podcast. But but that's the way I look at this season. Well, we'll get into it right now. Um, although I will, I'll just add a caveat. I think most Canuck fans, if you'd ask them to sign off on a season where Erica Branson is no longer here, would have been seen as an unqualified success. But that's the power of social media. Um, I did want to ask you about Benning. So here we are. Uh, you can... You know, when I see these two trains of thoughts thrown around all over the place, does he get the credit for drafting so many elite young prospects, or is it four years, the worst team in the NHL, that's not good? Or somewhere in the middle. Yeah, if you're going to put those things on a scale, I I, I think the team's record is, is the one that tips it the most. And, you know, as far as the draft, he, okay, he deserves... Big-time credit for Besser, 24th overall, to get a legitimate sniper at that spot is found money. Big-time credit for Pedersen, who looks like he might be the best player in that draft, although that story is going to play out here for the for the next five years. 
the rest of the draft record, it's just either too early or there's some really big question marks there, too. Now, if I knew for a fact Jet Wu was going to be an impact defenseman, and it looks like he might be trending that way if a kid like Tyler Madden, uh, if, 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 I'm sorry, I'm blanking out on the, 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 the defenseman at Harvard who's Rock real. Bone. Yeah, the, the, if he steps up this year, they've, they've got all these kind of intriguing prospects, and there's enough of them, and I think we've talked about this in the past, too, there's enough of them that you, you have to believe one or two or three of them and that's maybe all they they'll need you just don't know you just don't know what they're going to be and in the meantime you look back Jake Vertanen at sixth overall that qualifies as a mistake right now Ole Ulevi is fifth overall and you can't miss on those premium lottery draft picks when you're in a rebuilding phase if those guys would have delivered what they were supposed to be this thing would be right on schedule and maybe even a little ahead I think you can legitimately say, you know, this could this could have potentially been a playoff team or a team that was fighting until the last week of the season if those guys, you know, w- would have been what they should have been given where they, they, they were drafted. So I, I'm not quite as on board with Jim the Genius drafter as other people. It, it, for me, it's kind of a... A yes spot. Well, it's it's all been a bit of a blur. They have the two seasons where they two seasons within three where they had two first round picks. Yes, was that's one right. of those Gillis? Uh, no, the, the, they were both was, both Benning. Hang on a minute. No, I'm sorry. One of those one of those was Gillis because the second one was Hunter Shinkarik. It yeah. was the Bo Horvat. Yeah, yeah, that that was Gillis, and they, and then in Benning's first draft, I mean, and that was a pretty good draft. Got the sixth, and I I think Jared McCann was the nineteenth pick. Yeah. But, boy, there was a lot of players they missed on. And, you know, and I get it. That's going to happen. A lot of a lot of teams missed on on David Pasternak. Uh, a lot of teams missed, you know, on other players. The point is you, you can't have, like, a substandard player. You can't have nothing for, to show for it. And for Jared McCann, basically they have half of Tanner Pearson to, to say nothing of the Eric Goodbranson schmozzle. So, you know, to turn that pick into what they got for it, that, that's not a win for the organization. And I don't know what Jake Vertanen is, is going to be. And I kind of, I, it frustrates the hell out of me watching him play hockey at the NHL level because you can see the skill package, but it just, whatever it is, it just doesn't translate into, into what you need to be to be an impactful NHL player. Does his future in Vancouver in some ways hinge on what happens in the draft lottery next week? I think that's a, a big piece of the puzzle. Now, so I, I, I talked to Benning at length yesterday for a piece in, you know, work, work the weekend, and he says, I, and the impression I got was they're not going to try and make a big splash in free agents, you know, he Maybe that was just the party line, and yeah, they are going to, you know, come out of their boots for 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 one. To me, they have to get a top six forward. Uh, that that that's and and given the supply and the demand, that's where most of the supply is. But they he is talking about we're going to get it. We're going to try and get a defenseman, and to me, that kind of screams get him in a trade. And their most valuable trading chip is Jake Vertanen. Uh, and there will be teams that take a look at that size and skill package, and 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 the skating and and everything else, and then you know, boy, we might get, and and they may they might be, they might be. I wasn't around when Cam Neely was here in Vancouver, and I know that that scares the shit out of a lot uh, of Canucks fans that we might be trading that they might be trading away uh, Cam Neely again. I just uh, again the, the the things that you need to be hockey sense and and, and all those things. 
he did, Jake just doesn't have it. Yeah, you might be trading away Jim Sandlock too. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if you, so, I th- you're going to wait, you know, for well, no, three or exactly. four years for, are, are you, for, for, for fear for of failure. That's right. Are yeah. you going to get rid of a guy who really yeah. isn't doing what he should be doing now? I know that's the. I think that's the terrifying thing, not just for fans, but for any general manager. Um, but if you, that's where I'm so intrigued by the draft lottery. I mean, Vertan and maybe a. A trade chip for a player to try and bring in a defenseman, but it's also if they end up with the second or first or third pick, you might have a guy who you feel can step in there. I mean, even if they ended up with a Giants kid, Bowen Byram in the top five. Sure. If you end up with the eleventh or twelfth pick, I don't think we're not talking about a Quinn Hughes this time next year bringing in a, a blue chip prospect to get his his uh, teeth cut uh, yeah. in the NHL. Yeah. So therefore, if you if you're six or seven and you're trying to move up to get that player, maybe that's where Vertanen is bait too. I don't know. I just know it's going to be one hell of an interesting period between with the draft being here and free agency opening. Oh yeah, and, and well, I you know it's. it's the standard joke the most you know, for the for the last five years the most exciting day for Canucks fans has been the draft lottery and it's coming up on Tuesday and I'm, I think they're ninth overall right now either they're eighth or ninth they're in they're in there somewhere I, I'm sorry I, I, I have to I have to come clean I was at the game last night there's about 10 minutes left it's 2-1 for the Sharks I got how many times have I seen that movie this year so I left I got in the by the time I got in the car it was 2-2 and then they scored the game winner you know full credit for them and I thought that Judemko was sensational uh, last night especially after giving up two you know in the early stages of the first period but he just shut the door and I know San Jose isn't playing real well right now but that's still a very yeah. very very powerful I'm, team. I have to get off the track a little bit yeah. I'm just curious I mean obviously you talked about a signing Benning seemed to take himself out again into your comments from like making a big play for Eric Carlson but you got to wonder about San Jose I mean one eight and one in their last ten you know, maybe this is a team that's just waiting to get healthy and, and will go after it in the playoffs and they're just bored with the regular season. But if they go out flaming in the first round, you got to wonder whether well, they hard want to Carlson flip, yeah. at the price Hard tag. to flip that, especially when you're playing Las Vegas. Yeah. Which is going to – and, and to, me, to me, Las Vegas, if I had to bet on a team coming out of the West right now, would be Las Vegas. Interesting. I just think they're so deep and they can come at you in so many different ways. Now, a lot of that depends on Marc-Andre Fleury's health. Uh, but, but yeah, I just, it was just something twigged there. You know, you were talking about, you know, like the fear of, 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 of trading away the next Cam Neely. And I, 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 I'm really getting the feeling that, that like Louis Erickson has put the fear of God in the Canucks about going deep after another free agent. And I don't think he can play scared in this game. Like, again, I, I look at their needs and I look at, I look at the supply of free agent forwards and, and a lot of them are like in that 27 28 who wouldn't be like crazy you know they, they, they'd fit into that age group and they could you know range from the high end to, to Matt Duchesne or Jeff Skinner and maybe you can get a Michael Furland or maybe you can get a Ryan Zingle at a, at, at a little lower price they've also got 14 and a half million dollars in cap space unless Alex Adler is going to get the craziest contract in NHL history they have money to spend, so this is gonna, like this is this off season sets up as a fascinating one for me, and the Benning regime and the Aquilini ownership. Well, group. I, absolutely, and I was going to ask you about that again. If you you kind of have to look at the landscape a little bit more, um, people a little shocked at Connor McDavid's. They call it an outburst. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it. Like honestly. You know, kind of putting ownership on notice. Oh, we've already fired a GM. We've fired yet another coach. Um, we had talked about this in Benning's scenario uh, 
probably safe, but maybe not when you consider who's out there. And when you see Edmonton like being put on notice by, you know, one of the best players in the NHL to guys, you better sort this out. Um, I wonder if there's a little bit of envy or anticipation about, you know, maybe we should look at something different in Vancouver. Does that, and, and I know we've talked about this, but does, when you can see what's happening in Edmonton, does that maybe play a little bit more in the power corridors at Rogers? Well, I, I don't know how you could look at the Benning regime and say, yeah, we're really confident in the direction of this team. Yeah, they've assembled some nice pieces, but it's because they've, you know, been so terrible. They picked high, high up in the draft. So, but, but again, when you, when you look at the trades, when you look at the free agent signings, show me the evidence where this regime is, is on track and has the ability to do all the fine-tuning. You know, I've been kicking around this metaphor, and it's so awkward, but, but, but I think it's true. Like, when you go to cook a meal, you can start off with great raw ingredients. But to make a truly memorable dish, I mean, it requires finesse. It requires different techniques. It requires knowing to, you know, when to add this spice, when to do this, when to do that. It isn't just sitting there like with this, you know, whatever it is, this fillet or, or whatever it is, putting it in a frying pan, cooking it and serving it. There are so many things you have to do with it to, to make it memorable. And I think that's the same with general managers. So, yes, they've drafted reasonably well, but it's all the other stuff. And I, th- I, I just can't help but shake the feeling. I, I, I know this ownership group is enamored of star-level names. And, and I think if the right guy becomes available or they have that come-to-Jesus moment within themselves of going, look, we, we either have to bring in an overlord or we have to bring in somebody and just turn the keys of the operation over, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if that happens this offseason. Um, that's a great analogy, Ed, and it reminds me of, of course, the great quote from Bill Parcells, something along the lines of, you know, I'm trying to cook a, an Italian meal and the owner's giving me the recipes for Chinese. Yeah. And uh you know, I think here maybe it's more which mode of transportation do you use to get the groceries home might be more on your mind. A 15-tweet thread about ride-sharing, but, you well, know, it, that's it's what's funny, really important. It, funny he made, a, <laughs> he made his position on ride-sharing a lot clearer than he made his, he's made his <laughs> position on the, on the Canucks, but, you know, baby steps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned Markstrom, though. When you, in hindsight, when we look at maybe what fans' expectations were last year, goaltending had a massive mm-hmm. question mark over it. Canucks look pretty set now for the next few years. Demko really playing into these. I mean, that's where there is real value in in these late season. Let's give an audition to some kids, don't they? Oh yeah, no, no, a hundred percent. And I, I, I would argue that you know, Markstrom season in, in in the story of the Canucks is every bit as important as Patterson's. And the only reason I, I wouldn't give it to him is just the age thing. You got a 29-year-old versus a 20-year-old, and you're, we're looking at a decade of, of Elias Patterson. I don't know how how long we're looking at for, for Jacob Markstrom. But in terms of the Canucks' need, you know, to have that guy who seems to have won the confidence of the room, the confidence of the organization, whatever success the Canucks have had this year, I think the bulk of it you can point towards their goaltending and specifically Markstrom. I mean, when he starts, they're basically a playoff game. They're 28 and 22. They're a 90-point team, and that puts them right in the thick of this playoff battle. Uh, but, but, but in, you know, in talking to the, you know, talking to the members of the organization, I recognize Ian Clark isn't the most objective source on this. But but they just talk about about just the confidence he gives the group and and the leadership role he's taken on with this team and when you've got that in your goalie, 
I, you know, I'm going to invoke the name Henrik Lundqvist because the Swedish goalie. I know, but but I've seen what he do, what he's done with that New York team over the year, and, and just the unshakable faith they have on him. And if the Canucks have that in Markstrom, boy, that's something. So, I mean, what is the most important? Again, we need the draft lottery to know. But what is the the most important area for the Canucks? Is it is it defense? Is it the big winger? And I know there's different ways to acquire it. But what would your number one priority be? Like, if you had to overspend somewhere, where would it be? In free agency? Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't. I, I mean, overspend draft. in terms of resources. It could be yeah, moving okay, up sure. in the draft. It could yeah. be. It could be in a trade, throwing in extra pieces there. It could be in dollars. Like, where do you think that? Well, really I hate they to need punt to this one back right to you, first. but but really, where where they are now, they have to take the best player available, irrespective of position. And you know, now having said that, if you're going to like shade it one way or the other, it, they need more skill on the wing, and they need scoring on the wing, and you can always use another defenseman. And it's going to be interesting. I kind of think if they end up drafting about where they are now, uh, the U.S. Uh, national development team, they, they've been talking about the crew there. There's going to be about five first-rounders coming out of that. And knowing Jed, I, I, I don't know if you, if it's fair to say that you know there, there's a bias towards American player, but there's definitely an inclination since Judd Brackett has taken over the drafting and the 80s, they've made some great picks there and they've got some really intriguing prospects. And I know they follow that program closely. It would not surprise me one bit if their pick came out of that U.S. Na- national development team. Um. I mean, it's it is such an, an interesting question of where this team goes because when you look at, they have some elite pieces in there. We've talked about that ad nauseum, but there's a lot of deadwood on this team. When I look at you know some of the expiring contracts and I look at some of the names sort of in the bottom half of the roster, there's a lot of guys who you really have to struggle to make a case for being back here next year, don't you? Yeah, yeah, and again, in this kind of comes back to, to, to me like, like when you know when, when Benning says you know kind of stay the course you know we're not looking to make a big splash and I'm paraphrasing there and I'm not sure if that's still the case but I still look at what's available there and if you add one or two pieces up front one premium piece and maybe another one through a trade you add that into the lineup and, and then take off the Marcus Granlund and whoever on the other end then I think you can get this market, you know, talking again. But if they come back with uh, with the Tim Schallers of the world and Marcus Granlin, you can just see eyes glazing over. I don't know how you can even pretend to entertain the status quo when this is the fifth year in a row. I'm sorry, it's, it's the fourth year in a row. It's Benning's fifth year as GM. But four years in a row, you've finished in the 20s, in some cases the high 20s, at the bottom at the bottom of the, of the draft. And, and to ask this fan base to endure another year of this without making an effort to change things, you have to have to be so confident in what you have and they're all going to take another step forward next year or you've got to do something to try and fix it. And and if you don't, I, and especially when you're sitting there with $14.5 million in cap space, that sends a really crummy message to the fans. I know this is a um, kind of a loaded question because uh, you never know whether what sort of flavor you're getting. But do you have any sense what the idea around the NHL is in terms of this is a market? 
Like, are they attractive for free agents? Or like, you've had this argument about about Jay Beagle, right? Like, yeah. people, well, you gave him too much money and too much term. Well, gee, he just won a Stanley Cup. What's the uh, what's the benefit of playing in Vancouver? I'm just curious as to how easy or difficult it would be to convince people that this is a good place to play. Well, it, it was funny. I mean, they signed those three college free agents, and Benning viewed that as an endorsement of, of, of you know the direction they're going, and and maybe it is. I would be a lot more excited if those were three established NHL players. They 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 signed and convinced and wanted to be a part of this. I think they're at that point where they have to overpay to attract people here. I'm not sure why else somebody would come to Vancouver. Now, it might change a little bit because you're dangling the Patterson uh, carrot in front of, you know, and there's a lot, there's some wingers out there who've had pretty good seasons and you just rattle them off. Like there's Anders Lee, there's Furland, there's Zingle. Matt Duchesne is at the higher, uh, the highest end possibly, probably. And I, I, I just don't think they have a hope in hell of getting Panarin. Um, and they would have to talk about overpaying to get him. They'd have to come out of their boots to get him to come to Vancouver. But yeah, having said that, I, I just don't see if I'm a free agent and I'm looking around and looking at what my choices and opportunities are, I, I just don't see the Canucks at the top of the list. You know, it is funny you mentioned the college free agents. Um, I love seeing the reaction when these guys are signed because I never realized that there were so many monster fans of the NCAA hockey program in Vancouver. They must have get channels that I don't get because everyone has an opinion on these guys that I'd seriously never heard their name up until the moment the Canucks signed them. That's, it's kind of like the lottery, isn't it? You sign enough of these guys, you can always make a case for, you know, he was, uh, he was Yale's best player in the middle third of the season. Like it's always going to sound like, but it really is a crapshoot to try and get anything oh, yeah. useful out of there, Of course, isn't it? you know, they, 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 they got found money with Troy Stature, and to think that they can repeat that, I, I, I mean, maybe if they get, like, one organizational guy, one depth guy out of that group, that would be great. So, I, I'm sorry, I was, I was just laughing about, and you're right, part of the challenge of covering today's game is everybody's a freaking expert. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's an expert. So, and I hate to be that guy again, second time this podcast. But when I covered the WHL in in the eighties, you know, like I was seeing, I, w- I was going to fifty, sixty games. I had a pretty good handle on who the best players were in the Western League. There were, there was, well, there was the interweb didn't exist, but there was, there was no none of these like projections and fake draft and you know mock drafts and all the rest of it. But I used to get a phone call. I'm trying to remember the guy was from the state somewhere, and I want to say he was from California. I could set my watch by it, but he would phone, and this was this was kind of the buzz. He would phone me and go, "Who do you like? What about this kid? What about that kid?" And that was kind of the pre-draft. <laughs> prognostication that was the extent of the hype that was delivered in a, in and around the draft in those days if we'd cracked into the coffers there of the uh, post media promotions budget we could have had producer Dharmaquana drop in a harp uh, sound effect there but <laughs> It's kind of, yeah, kind of beyond our capabilities. Yeah, there. yeah, all right. Um, maybe we'll have to look at that for next season. What, what if we hired a, like a live harpist? That would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and we could we could cue him or her at the appropriate moment. <laughs> uh, it is it is going to be an interesting offseason, though. A couple more games here for the Canucks, and uh, you know we'll see what other silver linings can pluck out. Um, I want to thank everyone for listening. We'll leave it there for this week. Ed, thanks for joining. This is the the White Towel Canucks Hockey Podcast. Uh, subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating and come back every week. We're going to have lots of off-season stuff. This time next week, Ed, we'll know where the Canucks yes. are picking in the draft lottery. 
uh, will start to set up the offseason. I just think that that, that number is going to be so huge for them. Yes, and yeah, and that takes us all the way to mid-April, and then what are we looking at? <laughs> the reasons to re-sign Tim Schaller, yes or no, that's what we'll be looking at. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week.